Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sometimes a chance moment can completely change the trajectory of your life. Like dancing with the right person in a crowded club, hearing the lyrics that you so desperately needed to hear, or listening to your favorite song for the first time. Music often finds us at the exact moment we need it the most. And when it does, it can transform our lives. That's what it did for Brandon Block a British DJ who went on to do residencies around the world, get a hit record, and become a legend on the European dance scene. I've always been into my dance music. Brandon was born in the late 60s and spent his childhood in London falling in love with music. Brandon met some of his best friends going to gigs and club nights across the city and talking to people who were just as passionate about music as he was. I'm very fortunate to grow up in an area and a time where it was just incredible. The music was available and it was in the height of disco and jazz funk and soul. Just lovely. But he didn't set out to become a DJ. It was a chance moment in his 20s that transformed music from being something he loved into becoming his whole life. I started DJing in 1985. My memory serves me correctly. And it was in my local pub, and me and my best mate, Ali, we were asked by the owner at the time if we could go home and get our records, because the DJ who was employed at the time hadn't turned up. And we said, absolutely. He and his best friend, Alex, had never DJed in public, but they trusted their musical taste and ran towards the opportunity. And we went home, bought two big milk crates full of records, 12 inches back to the pub. They unloaded their records, played their favorite songs to a room full of people, and worked the crowd into a party. They instantly fell in love with DJ. We had such fantastic fun, and we ended up being employed to do the rounds, as they say. So we were asked to go and play in various of the pubs who belong to that group in West London. And the rest is history, as they say. Brandon went on to DJ around the UK, and then across Europe, becoming fully immersed in club culture. 
became an integral part of my life through the, the 80s and obviously the 90s, but it was worldwide mayhem. Once Brandon had solidified his place on the London club scene, he wanted to reach new heights. The place in Europe to do that was Ibiza. In the 90s, Ibiza was rapidly emerging as the party capital of Europe, if not the world. If you could really make it as a DJ in Ibiza, there was no telling what heights your career could ascend to. So Brandon decided to take a trip to Ibiza. He boarded the plane on a dull, rainy day in London. And two hours later, he landed on the hot, sun-drenched Spanish island of Ibiza. When I get off the plane, you used to get this overwhelming sort of, wow, it's a feeling. If you are spiritual in any way, you get this, there's an energy. Back then, it was like, you'd be sort of buzzing, naturally just getting off the plane and being, it's excitement. In Ibiza, the air was warmer and the people were friendlier. Back home in London, it was still rare for clubs to stay open super late. And rarer still were the type of summer days that would get people out into the streets dancing. But in Ibiza, the whole island was a party. People stayed up longer. People would party and they wanted a party. They wanted to stay out. And there was an atmosphere on this island. An atmosphere of hedonism and near constant celebration. But there was one club on the island that everybody kept telling him about. People spoke about it on the island because it was, it was a very special place to go. He decided to go and check it out. Myself and my friend arrived there at like eight, nine in the morning. That club he walked into that morning was Space, which would go on to become the most awarded club in history. When he stepped in, people were walking around in shorts, T-shirts, and light, bright, summery clothing, surrounded by palm trees, beach houses, and the view of the sea on the horizon. Space's most devoted clubbers were ready to party, as soon as their morning flights landed in Ibiza. Because space opened at 8 a.m. and stayed open for 22 hours. Nine in the morning going to a pub, you know, broad sunlight, beautiful, open air. But we were there and it was, there was like people milling around and I was just saying, wow, look at this. This is just incredible. The carefree feeling emanating from the dance floor made for an almost otherworldly atmosphere behind the DJ booth. He could see the whole crowd from the elevated stage he stood on. It looked like a sea of happy people. It was, I suppose, uh, heavenly in a way. We didn't have no cares, no worries. We were just there playing records we loved to people who loved the music. Once he played his first set on the Space Terrace, he didn't want to stop. So he and his DJ partner, Alex, convinced the owner of Space to let them throw a party outside on the terrace every Sunday. After a couple of months, Sundays at Space blew up. Brandon had made it in Ibiza. We created that first after-hours clubbing experience ever in the world. To DJ in that place was, I can't compare it. 
from 8 a.m. all through the day and night until 6 a.m. the next morning, Space's Terrace was filled with people partying in the sun and then dancing under the stars. And every couple of minutes, something unusual would happen. In the middle of a song, just before the beat dropped, the crowd would hear a loud, deafening sound and immediately look up. Space had been built under a flight path, and the island was so small that every couple of minutes, a plane that had just taken off from the airport would fly over the crowd. The sound was so loud that it would drown out the music playing on the dance floor. But that made those days and nights at Space even more special. I remember, in fact, shooting a video there, and it was very important to capture one of those flights coming overhead, just so people would know when they see the video where I was. Being out in the open air and sun and, you know, having airplanes literally fly two, three thousand feet above your head with that jet. It was like a hair stands up in your back moment. And that was part of the space experience because when the planes flew over, everyone just went, ah. The sound of each plane flying over the terrace felt like a celebration more people were coming to the island to join the party. From London Audio, iHeartRadio, and executive producer Paris Hilton, this is the history of the world's greatest nightclubs, a 12-part podcast about the iconic venues and people that revolutionized how we party. Some of the world's most legendary nightclubs were known for the unique community they welcomed. Others for the cultural movements they started, and some for the musicians and DJs they introduced to the world. The best nightclubs champion new music, transform lives, and provide an escape from life's pressures. One more thing. This is the history of some of the world's greatest nightclubs, not a ranking of every club in the world. It's an exploration of the spaces, people, and club nights that made a lasting impact on nightlife and music today. I'm your host, Ultranate. I'm a singer, songwriter, musician, and I found my purpose in club culture. This is episode 10, Space in Ibiza, Spain. Ibiza was no ordinary island, and space was no ordinary club. It was the blueprint for all-day outdoor terrace parties. It revolutionized the international clubbing scene, and each summer, it transformed the people on its dance floor. At Space, people could dance from nighttime through daytime and into nighttime again. I know because I've done it. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. 
that personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. There are certain places in the world that seem almost mystical when people talk about them. Cities, islands, and streets with whole mythology of stories that the people who love them the most tell with hushed reverence. And Abitha is one of those. Abby Lowe is a journalist who writes all about Abitha. It's always been a huge melting pot of influences and different cultures. It represents a particular ideal that's always captured people's imaginations. We know it now as the party capital of Europe. But Ibiza's folklore began centuries ago. It was invaded by the Carthaginians, the Romans, and even pirates at one point. And consequently, there are all of these different influences on the island including the influence of the mainland Spanish people who moved to the island in the 1960s. There was people fleeing the Franco regime and subsequent suppression in Spain. In the 60s, Spain was under the rule of a dictator. As the country became more fascist and authoritarian, people fled to Ibiza. But the Spanish weren't the only ones seeking that sense of freedom. Back in the 60s, when there was a tourist boom, it became famous for its influx of hippies and the Woodstock generation. Under the repressive dictatorship of the Franco regime, all Spanish media was censored, and any music that hadn't been made in Spain was forbidden. But when Franco's regime ended in the mid-70s, a free-spirited wave swept across Ibiza as the island became known for its hedonistic bohemian parties. People from all around the world will go to Ibiza to experience that sense of freedom. The fact that it's this very small island, but it's very beautiful and the beaches are incredible. And, and so you feel great when you're there because it's hot and you've got the sun on your skin. And you're surrounded by a lot of like-minded people. And also an idea that you can shape yourself however you want to. There is uh, an essence of non-judgment, I think that means you can be whoever you want to be. And this idea of freedom really gets beneath your skin and it becomes an ideal that you can live. And I think that that is quite addictive. A lot of the clubs we've spoken about so far became sanctuaries for people to gather, dance, and experience a unique sense of freedom. But in Ibiza, it wasn't any one nightclub bar or party that did that. It was the island itself. Ibiza was the sanctuary. People liked the fact that they could go there and that there were no boundaries, that they could explore who they were, regardless of where they were from or their sexuality or their gender or any of those things. And so there was this overriding feeling of just being able to explore who you were in a safe space. And so there were a lot of free thinkers and non-conformists and visionaries that were all, for whatever reasons, drawn to this one particular island. And one of those visionaries was Pepe Rossello, a charismatic music-loving man. 
Pepe had devoted his life to creating spaces for people to listen to music, meet like-minded people, and unwind. He'd run jazz clubs, restaurants, and music venues in Spain during the Franco regime, in spite of all the limitations. So when the regime ended and ushered in a new era of freedom and self-expression, Pepe saw an opportunity to open a new club on the island, Space. He just then created this space that was very much in his image what a clubbing space should be. Space was created to fulfill Pepe's vision of what the perfect club could feel like. A club that reflected Spain's newfound freedom and paid homage to Ibiza's legacy of free-spirited hedonism. It was open to everyone. It was a home for people to explore who they were, for people to feel more free and to live beyond the rules that society tells you that you have to live by. And one of the rules that Pepe defied was the norms of when a club should be open. He found a loophole in the Spanish club licensing laws that allowed him to open the club at 8 a.m. and stay open for 22 hours, close the doors at 6 a.m. to clean the club, then open up again at 8 a.m., making space one of the world's first legal after-hours clubs. It was pretty easy to get lost in the music, rooms, and euphoria of space across those 22 hours. Because stepping into space felt like stepping into a whole new world. It was so big and there were so many different rooms and doors. It was the kind of club where it only took two wrong turns to get lost. But each diversion could set them on the path to having an unexpectedly incredible new experience. Space had a capacity for 5,000 people, spread out across five different rooms. There were rooms dedicated to dancing, like the discoteca. Which was the main room, you could say, inside the club, which was famous for its sound system. It had this big, booming sound system that lent itself particularly well to really banging techno. Then there was El Salon, a relaxed bar with big white curtains on its walls and tables for people to enjoy a drink. In El Salon, the music was loud enough to dance to, but the volume was quiet enough for people to talk, laugh, and catch up with their friends. And then you had the tiny little El Salon, which was this room where magic just seemed to happen, just this random collection of people all joined together sort of taking a moment to step away from techno and house and whatever was happening elsewhere in the club and just dancing to really feel-good, shimmering, disco, soul, funk. There were no rules in El Salon. You could play whatever you wanted. And it would always just be bursting with joy. There were also quieter rooms like the Premier Etage, a rooftop space with white walls and yellow benches for people to relax on. There was netting to shield the dancers from the sun, but it only took a few steps to the edge for them to look out at the blue skies, palm trees, and sunshine of Ibiza. And that room was great because it was kind of a a chill-out area. The, The tempo was always much slower up there, and it was more of a a meeting place that you would go to just kind of hang out with people when you needed a rest from the dance floor. There was still music, but it was always much more low-key. And there was this iconic yellow submarine that took up pretty much half of the floor that people would just kind of lounge all over and you would always end up sparking up a conversation with 
a total random who would be your best friend for the night and then you would never see again. There was the terraza. Which was smaller, also like an incredible dancing space, but with a slightly lowered dance floor. So you would look up at the DJ. There was like a little stage behind with some stairs that led out in either direction. And then there was Space's Sunset Terrace, which Brandon talked about earlier. That venue went on to become legendary. It was one of my favorite spaces, actually, and I was very blessed to be able to DJ and perform there. That used to be the place where there were 22-hour parties and people would get off the plane with their luggage and go straight there for breakfast and just stay all day. And you would feel this like enormous boom as the planes went over, which would kind of shake your ribcage along with the bass of whoever was playing at the time. When Ibiza's summer season began each May, Space's devotees would do anything to get to Ibiza and go to Space's opening party. And it was the one party that everybody would try and make sure that they went to. And one of the clubbers that flew to Ibiza every year for Space's iconic opening party was the British journalist Ralph Moore. Ralph spent some of the best nights of his life in the nightclubs where he heard so many of his favorite summer dance anthems for the first time. I liked going to the clubs, seeing what kind of people went to events. You could chat to people in clubs in a very different way than you could chat to people at a rock concert or a pop concert because people who were going to clubs until three or four in the morning were inevitably fairly inebriated so their inhibitions had come down. So I made a lot of friends in club land. Those new friends opened his eyes to a world where music could be more than just a hobby. So in the 90s, he moved away from the seaside town he'd grown up in to work in London as a music journalist at Music Magazine. And after a couple months on the job, his boss sent him on a very special assignment to go and write about a particular island's nightlife scene. Ben Turner rang me and said, I'd like to send you to Ibiza next week. And that is really where this whole mess started because I took to Ibiza like a duck to water, frankly. (laughs) I was like a sponge. I wanted to experience everything that the island had to offer. And I wanted to go to all the parties that I'd heard about. Once he'd gotten a taste of the island on that first trip, Ralph couldn't get enough. Going to the opening of Space was like the dance music Olympics, really, for me. The annual space opening party was legendary. By the time you go from December through to June, you haven't seen people for six months, really. So you're gagging to get on the dance floor. You're gagging to catch up with people. And to hear all of the new music that had been created in the months between Space's closing party back in October and the opening party each May. On a good night, you could see eight to ten DJs that you loved. It was incredibly cosmopolitan, and the DJ bookings were international. And that was what made Ibiza so much more important to me. And the DJs that mattered included David Morales, Carl Cox, John Digweed, Cassius, Danny Tanaglia. The bookings were impeccable. Space was one of the few clubs in the world where you could experience sets from a dozen world-class DJs in just one night. The space opening parties felt at once like a celebration, a reunion, and the start of summer. But because of the international nature of their DJ bookings, they also served another purpose. 
After a winter at home and indoors, the space opening party was one of the first times many of the clubbers hit the dance floor each summer. So when they did, they'd step out and hear songs they'd never heard before for the first time. In the 90s, hearing new music for the first time wasn't as simple as pressing a button and streaming it on your phone. People heard new music at clubs, and Ibiza was notorious for breaking some of the biggest summer hits including mine. I was fascinated by the journey of a record that's made this sort of fun journey that went from a studio to an acetate or a white label into someone's record bag, into the club. Labels and musicians would send out a limited number of records to select groups of DJs that they knew would be in Ibiza that summer. You got one of 30 white labels biked to you by the record label and the piece of paper inside would say one of only 30 mailed so if it was a really good record not only did you have that record before anyone else which was important you also had a job to do you were a part of the evolution of the story of a record that was going to be broken that summer the key though was figuring out which ones were the important ones so each dj had to thoughtfully pick and curate the records they would fly to ibiza each summer because if they played the right song at the right moment they could help catapult it to become a worldwide hit if a record was big in ibiza it would be big for the entire season the record that i always always think of from that first season is pete heller's big love Records I would hear on the Space Terrace, I'd come back and they would be hit records because they were being broken in Ibiza. Space's annual opening party set the tone for the sound of each summer. Music would arrive in Ibiza on those limited release tapes at the start of the season, be played to a crowd on the dance floors of the island's iconic clubs, and by the end of the summer, those songs would become anthems across Ibiza. And because people traveled to Ibiza from all around the world, when they were home at the end of the summer, they'd take the best songs they'd heard on those dance floors with them, playing them at parties in Europe and requesting them in clubs across America until the songs that had soundtracked their summer in Ibiza became dance anthems around the world. Ibiza was the epicenter of dance music, and space was right there at the heart of it. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, 
or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said, my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star starting May 15th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every city we've explored so far had its own unique role in the musical landscape of its day. Some cities became renowned for the new genres of music that were nurtured in their clubs. Other clubs provided an inclusive space for people from different backgrounds. Some birthed legendary performers, and others became known for just one song. But if there's one thing that Ibiza became best known for, it was its DJs. Certainly for those first few years, Ibiza was the most important place to break a record or to be as a DJ. So these DJs were being built internally through the parties. The notoriety that came from being aligned to the right party was important. If someone could become a good, well-respected DJ at a club in Ibiza, a residency there could catapult their career into one of international legend. One of the DJs whose career was deeply intertwined with the success of space was Carl Cox. Carl is very personable. He's very present when he plays. He admits so much joy, and you feel it. The crowd feels it. He was always a popular DJ, but now you'd have to call him the legend that is Carl Cox. He had built a career in Europe as one of the DJs at the forefront of the British rave music scene. And his reputation had led Pepe, the owner of Space, to follow him across Europe to watch his DJ sets. Pepe saw Carl's potential. And after inviting him to Space to DJ at a few very successful parties, the two of them formed a musical partnership that would help elevate Space to the level of a world-renowned club. He could pull a crowd. He was super charismatic. He played the right music for that environment. And he understood dance floor and club culture probably better than any other DJ then or now, really. In 2001, he began what would become a 15-year summer residency at Space. Carl was very loyal to Space. Pepe Rosalo looked at Carl like his sort of like prodigal son. Not only did he treat him like his actual son, he also recognized how pivotal Carl was to the success of certain nights. Carl would DJ all around the world throughout the year, but he would always find his way back home to space in the summer. Ultimately, he decided that space was his home. Carl was like the McLaren driver who never left McLaren. Carl's sets at space were legendary. 
And DJs like him helped create the sound of each summer. Ibiza gave them the crowds and freedom to do some of their best work. Musically, it was just a euphoric experience. It was all a family and everyone was there for one reason. That was to have fun and enjoy great music of all types. But at Space, they played songs from all around the world. The time there's Belgian new beat, which was, I can't describe it. I suppose you could compare it in a way to indie rock type stuff. Way back when, so the Belgian new beat, there's uh, Italian disco, some quite well-picked pop records from the 80s. There was also disco, house and garage music from the UK and America. A lot of those great original US house and garage tunes have incredible songs about love. All about love, right? So you have C.C. Rogers' Sunday, Joe Smooth, Promised Land, all still classic. Frankie Knuckles, Your Love. Brandon's residency at Space helped catapult Brandon's career. We were like superstars, man. Playing to crowds of thousands of people each summer made him a better DJ. When I look back on it, I think just very grateful to be part of that, that era because it was very special. It was special for the DJs that played there. And it was just as special for the clubbers who listened to their sets from the haze of the dance floor. Here's the journalist Abby Lowe again. There were people who met their partners there and who had their first, you know, transcendental dance floor epiphany there and ridiculously hedonistic fiestas that lasted for, you know, 24 hours and went from morning to night and back to morning again. And you never really knew kind of what had hit you, to be honest. You would go in and emerge someone completely different. Nobody left space unchanged. Here's Ralph Moore again. Behind me are thousands and thousands of records from that time. To me, a record is a memory of something as a key to remind you of an evening. The romance for dance music should be about having an epiphany around the people you're with, a record you heard, an experience that you can't get anywhere else. And you just couldn't have the same experiences that you had at Space anywhere else. The transcendental morning dance parties, cheering as planes flew above the crowd and partying nonstop for 22 hours. But even the best parties had to come to an end. And then at eight in the morning, the lights would go on. The DJ would play their final song and the clubbers would look around to find that the party was over. I used to think that being at a club till the lights came on was the most important thing because then you'd have the foot experience and you, you were there till the end. Each party had to end so that the next one could begin. But eventually, the people who loved space walked into the club for one last dance, knowing the next time the lights went up, the party would truly be over. Space became the most awarded club in history, winning the prestigious title of Best Global Club at the International Dance Music Awards six times. Why? Because space was landscape shaping, a global clubbing institution, and most simply but truly, the best party in the world. But after 27 incredible years of partying, Space held its final fiesta on a Sunday in October of 2016. The lease for the building had expired and Pepe, who by then was over 80 years old, decided to close the club. 
I think every one of my friends who cared about dance music made sure that they were there for that. Uh, some American friends who flew in especially for it. None of us at the time realized how big of a deal it was going to be. Sadly, I wasn't able to make it, but I watched from afar online, crying in my socks. I think we went in the early afternoon initially, and the, the queue to get in was absolutely enormous. Already, like, snaked around the entire car park. Thousands of people showed up to space's biggest party yet, and there were over 100 DJs at that 22-hour party. They did their best to book those world-class DJs from the past 20, 25 years. DJs like Carl Cox, Brandon Block, and David Morales came back to the island for the final fiesta to play songs that had become space anthems. Most of the DJs that I spoke to who were playing really wanted to make sure that they were digging out the records that mattered to them. That final fiesta was filled with moments where the DJs played songs that had become an essential part of the space story. You would hear, like, Love is in the Air, Paul Reynolds played, and All Night Long. And it was just kind of, you know, giddy inducing. And I remember being in on the Sunset Terrace when Paul Reynolds was playing and was just surrounded by all of my friends. It's such a cliche to say that it was electric, but genuinely it felt like people were surging with energy. You were all just looking around at each other being like, my God, this is just so incredibly good. It felt incredible, but they knew it was the end. As the night came to a close and the sun rose outside, everyone left the terrace and went into the main room. Because Coxie was playing in the discotheca and he was the last DJ to play out the night. Carl Cox was behind the booth with some of the other DJs and Abitha legends who'd become integral. Also behind the booth with him was Pepe Rossello, the owner of Space. As the crowd listened to Carl's final set, they were swept up by the euphoria and sadness. They knew that the place they loved, which held so many of their favorite memories, wasn't going to be there next summer. It was this, I don't know, just like this weird sense of anticipation. Everybody just having such an incredible time, but also kept checking their watches, being like, oh no, it's all going to end at any moment. The gravity of the moment began to settle in when Carl, who'd been playing his set for 10 whole hours, picked up the microphone. The whole crowd looked up. Thank you so much once again. It's been an absolutely fantastic day. I beef will never be the same, you know it. The very last record that was played was a record I'm holding up now, which is Angie Stone, I Wish I Didn't Miss You, which was the perfect record to play. The lyrics had always been emotional, but at that final momentous party, the lyrics held more weight in the club than ever before. I'm not really into football, so space was the equivalent for me of being behind a specific team. Space was part of my sort of identity as a music fan. So hearing that song felt like watching his favorite team play its final game. 
It was a mixture of pride for how far they'd come, nostalgia for all the years he'd spent there, but then also a deep level of sadness that it was all about to come to an end. So the sentiment of it is, is this really the end of space? If so, my God, we're going to miss you. They knew it was coming. It was the final fiesta. But it wasn't until Pepe took the mic that it all truly sank in. Pepe did a little speech saying how people's memories and love would live inside the walls forever. And it was just this resounding feeling of it being an end of an era, even though it was a joyful one. Abby and her boyfriend were two of the last people to leave the club when the party ended. They'd seen the club during the day and during the night, in the sun and under the stars. But as they walked around on that final morning, they realized they were seeing the sun come up after a night at space for the very last time. We were kind of just wandering around. Lost in the aftermath of the party, there was no one on the dance floor anymore. Just crushed cups, loose glitter, discarded clothes, and stomped out confetti. As they made their way out for the final time, we found some guy who had taken off his belt and tied himself to a table <laughs> and was refusing to leave. And he was like mid-negotiation with a couple of bouncers who were just very gently trying to coax him out of the club and, and just saying, listen, it's time to go home, mate. And he, he was having absolutely none of it. He was beside himself and was just refusing to leave. But it was time to turn down the lights. Eventually, we found a bouncer who made some quip along the lines of, oh, you know, I would say see you next year. And then shrugging his shoulders and being like, maybe in the next life. And it was just like, oh, mate, come on. What are you doing to us? Space was the mega club that almost never slept. On the island that revolved around partying, freedom of self, and hedonism. At Space, people could wake up to dance in the sunshine or go out late to dance under the stars. At Space, the party never stopped. Until it finally did. Space had really mattered to people. It had become an extension of their summer selves. It launched careers, broke songs, and was formative in the creation of day clubbing culture and after-hours partying. Space was more than just a club. It was a way of life. Here's Brandon Block again. It's given me a life, hasn't it? It's a lifetime. And it's, it's weird when we speak to it, you know, it's like I speak to my friends and stuff, and we talk about how old, you know, I remember this, I remember that. And they say, and you start 35 years ago, you go, wow, we, this is a lifetime. So music's got me through my worst times. Twenty-five, thirty years ago, I was very nearly not here. I suppose the fact that I was able to go back into the environment that I loved and still play music saved me. Now Brandon lives by the beach in the south of England, but he thinks about the years he spent DJing on the Spanish island all the time. It's got me where I am today. You know, I'm sitting in Bournemouth by the sea in my little man shed, and. I don't need a lot else. I've, I've got my computer, I've got my decks here, I've got my, I've got an infant library of music and I can tap into it any time and just escape. 
so many of those songs he escapes into are songs he played and heard at Space. Space felt like a dance party in paradise. The club closed, but the party never really ended. Not for the people who formed such visceral core memories during their time there. To DJ in that place was, I can't compare it. There was an atmosphere on this island. And people say, can you ever replace our beef? You never replace our beef. Doesn't matter where you go in the world, you'll never find that feeling. In the next episode, we're heading to Lagos in Nigeria to visit the Africa Shrine. Fela Kuti's legendary music venue, nightclub, and political salon to learn more about its revolutionary history and lasting legacy on West African music. The History of the World's Greatest Nightclubs is produced by Neon Hum Media for London Audio and iHeartRadio. For London Audio, our executive producers are Paris Hilton, Bruce Robertson, and Bruce Gersh. The executive producer for Neon Hum is Jonathan Hirsch. Our producer is Rufaro Faith Mazarua. Navani Otero and Liz Sanchez are our associate producers. Our series producer is Crystal Genesis. Our editor is Stephanie Serrano. Samantha Allison is our production manager, and Alexis Martinez is our production coordinator. The episode was written by Rufaro Mazarua and fact-checked by Catherine Newhan. Theme and original music by Asha Ivanovich. Our sound design engineers are Sam Baer and Josh Hahn. I'm your host, Alternate, and we'll see you next time on the history of the world's greatest nightclubs. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.